0: Listening to the Taming Hinges podcast: conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances podcast. My name is Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And I have another episode for you. This episode is episode number 42. The answer to the life, universe, and everything. Um, if you've never read or seen The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, particularly read, the movie doesn't no justice whatsoever. But uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a wonderful series of books that have an interesting take on life and the universe and um, all the things in between. But this episode is a recap episode. That's kind of what I was waiting for to turn episode 42 into is a recap of everything I've talked about. And maybe some prelude to some things I will eventually talk about as well. But I thought now would be a good time to go over everything we've covered. Last episode I talked about effort and the episode before that I talked about imagination and those were two really big episode topics. Um, So I'd like to take it back to the very beginning of this podcast and just kind of give this like almost like this is a new entry point or uh, just kind of a recap to bring everything back as this is um, well been quite a long time in the making. We're almost at a year here. I've been doing this 42 weeks in a row. Pretty crazy. But Stepping all the way back to the beginning of this podcast, I started with this idea of what is self awareness and what is mental health and how do we apply them to each other or use them with each other. And I had always had this idea floating around in my head that there's this thing known as depression and we don't really understand it. And I want to make perfectly clear that I am not a medical professional. I, I've you know, I've studied things and I've read things. I am a licensed massage therapist. I do know a ton about the human body. I've been working with the human body and with just people in general for about 15 years now. Um, 10 as a, as a licensed therapist, massage therapist, but you know, I've worked in the service industry. I've, I've done all these things that people have kind of always just been my business. And throughout all of this, ever since I was a, a little kid, I've quote unquote, suffered through depression. And I I didn't quite understand it. And I don't think a lot of people do. And that's not to say, I said all that just to make this point. It's not to say that I don't think psychiatry, you know, counseling and psychology and the medical interventions that can come with medications and those types of things are the wrong answer. I don't believe that at all. If you have a chemical imbalance, we need to work chemically to help you with that. If, you know, there is PTSD or psychological trauma or damage that has occurred to the psyche itself. You know, that's the realm of professionals and medications and, and counseling and, and therapy. Th- that's all good stuff in my eyes. You know, if it helps you, it helps you. Masking the problem, though, and not teaching someone how to deal with themselves, that's adding to the problem. And I don't agree with that. This goes to something I've mentioned many times in this podcast. It's okay to be ignorant. Ignorant is the idea of not knowing the answer or never having been taught it, never having experienced it or anything that would involve you to have an aha moment or to get a better understanding of what's going on. The opposite to that is what's known as willful ignorance and willful ignorance in my personal viewpoint is part of the root of all evil. If you are willfully ignorant of something, you're just completely ignoring it. You're not addressing it. And that's the definition of evil. That's part of the definition of evil. That is, that is an evil practice. Evil being Something that takes away the possibility of change and, and it just changes. It takes away possibilities in a negative connotation. We all know how I feel about connotations, or maybe you don't, maybe this is the first time you're engaging with this podcast. I like to take the connotation out of things. So all of that being said, I have this idea of depression that I believe is vastly different than social norms. I believe your depression is uniquely who you are. It is so fundamentally who you are that no one else can understand it. To that point, it's so fundamentally who you are, it's hard to understand it in and of yourself. And I spent a lot of time in my youth trying to figure out, you know, why do I feel this way? Why do I have these thoughts? Why am I suicidal? Um, And I was left with, a bunch more questions and no answers. And in that vein of thinking, I learned that there's this process of stopping to ask why questions. So the first, uh, let me look at the list here. Where did I make the changeover? Episode 31 was the sequitur episode. So the first 31 episodes of this podcast, I dealt with mental health and self-awareness, and I eliminated this thing known as the why question set. I stopped asking why questions, because why questions are subjective. And in order to learn about ourselves, we need to give some objectivity. There needs to be a subjective objectivity, or or the objectivity of subjectivity, if you will. I and mean, that's it's a little complicated, but bear with me here for a second. If you get rid of the why questions and you start asking real serious questions that get you answers, like how or where or, you know, The how, where, when, why is how you make up a story. So get rid of the whys, the how, the where, the when. They give you better, more objective answers, and then you can work with those a little bit better. So let's apply that to depression. If we stop asking why I'm depressed or, you know, those types of things, and we ask what makes you depressed or how do you feel when you are depressed, you start to understand that there is this intrinsical nature of it. It's how you see the world. It is you. it's 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 your mental fingerprint, if you will. And to step into that a little bit deeper, to give you some more background, the way I came up with this in in full was I have studied alchemy and ancient philosophies and thinkings and ancient medicine specifically, but also this thing known as astrology, because I like to get into some of the other mystical ideas of things, tarot, astrology, any divination form, you know, I can get my hands on. I like to look at it, where it came from, how it works, why it might work. Remember, we'll get back into why questions here. It comes back around. But with depression, I I like to look at where words come from. And I've done that quite a few times. Oftentimes in this podcast, I start off with a definition of a word to kind of give us a baseline to work from. So in the first 31 episodes, we were dealing with this thing known as mental health. And mental health is ruled by depression, in my personal opinion. Same with self-awareness. And here's why. In astrology, the ancient version of astrology, I mean, we still practice astrology, but in the ancient vernacular, vernacular is the the vocabulary and, and, and word set that's used in a system. Depression meant when a side real body, side real bodies are defined as bodies outside of the earth, so think stars, moon, sun, other planets, those are side real bodies, when a side real body depresses itself below the horizon line keep that in mind here so what that means is it, it left your visual senses and now has depressed itself below the horizon line that means it's entered the mental space jumping forward we add in things like imagination and spirituality and, and we'll come to that here very quickly but the idea of depression for me is the way in which things are depressed below that that horizon line into the mental space where we simulate things. And that's going to be very important as we go on here, this idea of simulation. So this factor of depression, if you will, lines up the way in which we see the world. And that's why it's so uniquely who you are, the way you're thinking, the way you're interacting, the way your vagus nervous system is intaking information, your central nervous system taking information, just, you know, the differentiation between someone's cold and someone's hot, vastly different. You know, when someone might be saying, Oh, I feel a little cold, but somebody else might say like, Oh man, I'm sweating. You know, that's all part of this thing. I call depression. It's uniquely the way you see the world. It's almost like the rose colored glasses you put on. So, That's my idea of depression. What's that turn into when we talk about mental health and self-awareness? From there, I got this defining idea that, okay, there's this thing known as depression. It's uniquely who you are. So one thing has to occur there. The first thing that needs to occur when we're having these conversations is we need to take out the I understand comment. That's bullshit. You don't. That's not a bad thing, though. You know, when people say like, well, I understand... No, you don't. It's okay not to, though. You really shouldn't. Because if you do, uh, either you're saying that I'm not a complex individual and have my own thought processes, or you're saying that you are a vastly superior being and no longer human, and you're just something else that can somehow see into my mind. You may understand similarities, and that's what empathy and sympathy come from, and that's totally fine as well. But the off-the-cuff no thought put into it comment of, oh, I understand how you're feeling. You don't. So we got to stop saying that because it really upsets people. And although, yes, at the intro of this podcast, I say, come get triggered. That is a triggering term, one that we can just do away with because it's, it's an asinine idea to think that you somehow understand how the information from the material world that you yourself aren't quite sure how to interpret You now somehow know how someone else interprets that. It's bullshit. Let's get rid of it. In my personal opinion, I know I say that a lot, but just just get rid of that statement. Stop saying that. Stupid, not stupid, but it's just it's useless. It's a useless statement. Oh, I understand. It's better to define that statement. Then, if you really want to go that route, you can say, "I think I can sympathize with that." Maybe you've had a similar experience, or I'm feeling a little empathetic towards that. Those are better statements. They're more poignant and they have defined nature. Empathy, sympathy, those types of things. There are empaths in this world. There's sympathies in this world. They exist, I've met them. In some cases, I am one, you know, in certain situations. So I, you know, I think people can get around that idea a little bit more. Instead of, oh, I understand how you're feeling. No, you don't. Instead, maybe if you really do feel necessary to make a statement, I think I can empathize with what you went through. I, I went through something similar. It's not the same. Please explain more. That gives the person their own uniqueness because your depression is uniquely who you are. It's what rules the statement of I. And I'll get to that here in a second. But also it rules the statement of what ego or ego is. Um, I, I've mentioned before, Alan Watts is a fantastic individual to listen to because he took the... Eastern practices of Zen and the Eastern philosophies, and he brought them to the Western mind. And one of the statements he makes is the most egotistical thing you can do is try to remove or diminish, destroy, or kill your ego. It's, it's not possible. So in that light of thinking, it's impossible to get rid of your depression. We keep trying to bash it down. We keep kind of stab it with, you know, all these other, you know, stab it with, with pills and, and, and break it down with the bashing it with counseling and therapy. And those are all good practices. Like I said before, the problem is we're trying to kill something that is uniquely who someone is instead of teaching them how to understand it. So that's where I come from on the mental health side of things that you have this thing known as depression. It's uniquely who you are. So let's teach you how to fucking use it. Right from there, let's move into what self-awareness is this is how they can start to interplay. Mental health is ruled by this, this I, this depression. But what is that really? Well, we have to break self-awareness into two pieces, self and awareness. It is two words after all. So let's break down self first. As a recap of everything I've talked about, um, if you want to delve into this more, this was episodes uh, 20, no, I'm sorry, 21, 22, 23, and then 24 is the episodes I, I go over this. What is this self thing? Self, in my my way of thinking in this, this thing I'm putting together that I'm calling the taming hindrances podcast, but is really manifesting itself into some grand theory I'm putting together is self. When we look at the ancient teachings, when we look at ancient writings, when we look at old versions of medicine, we look at spiritual practices. um, When we look at just, just things from antiquity in general, specifically alchemy uh, and the original, healers um people like paracelsus uh who i would paracelsus von honenheim who i would consider the great-grandfather of modern medicine um hippocampus uh the father of i guess or grandfather of modern medicine um just you know spiritual he- witches in general witches uh which were original healers of the populace they were kind of you know the 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 vastly more knowledgeable female individual of the clans that had not spiritual magical powers, but knowledge of the human body and like, Oh, your child's sick. You take it for the witch. And we villainize that over time. And I think there's reasons behind that. But before I go too far down that tangent, let me digress back to our our, our topic here. Self self in all of those thinkings in, in all of those old ways of knowledge are defined in three pieces you have three health bodies. One of those is the physical form, it's the physical body. It's the one I'm most comfortable with because I work on them constantly and I've worked with them for many years. Your physical body is made up of trillions upon trillions of cells, bacteria, uh, just you know, organisms. It, it's made up of all of these different other things that aren't you, or at least we don't consider them us. We just say, this is my body. That's a statement we, we most commonly make in today's society. We talk about this being your body or my body, you know, it, but it's not part of the I. It's just like um, a control thing, and that's kind of how we have to think about this. We have to we have to sink a little bit more into that, in my opinion, because that body that you say is yours is really again trillions of cells, bacteria, organisms all of these different structures, more akin to a coral reef. It's all of these things working in tandem to do one thing, live. That's what bodies do. They live. Your cells are replicating and functioning. And, you know, we have these things like sarcomeres that we, the cell snips off as it it, um, duplicates itself. And then we have apoptosis, which is the cell death. And, you know, cells have a cycle And every seven to 11 years around there, your body cycles through all the cells in its body and makes new cells. But it still has all the knowledge from the old cells through these sarcomeres. And and it's a fantastic, amazing process about how the human body works, lives, and continues to exist. Absolutely fascinating. Anatomy and physiology doesn't even do it justice. And we are breaking into new realms of the human body and what it does. Every day almost, you know, now we're on the bleeding edge of learning how the cells in the body really work with, you know, things like how the bioelectric field works and, you know, what ionization looks like, the um, ion storms in the body of what an uh, ionated zinc thing does. It's a crazy world. There's worlds like the epigenetical world, you know, when we study DNA and RNA and all these things. It's crazy. Your body is a little supernova reactor in some cases doing all sorts of crazy shit constantly, but we don't treat it that way. We don't treat it like a coral reef, all of these different cells and bacteria, you know, just your gut biome alone, trillions of little gut bacteria doing you a favor. And you're just like, I'm going to eat some spicy hot wings and you just create mass genocide because that acid kills off all sorts of gut bacteria or Better yet, you take a, you know, and I'm not saying don't do this, but, you know, you take a um, a pill of some sort or, you know, some sort of medicine that, that wrecks that gut biome. You don't pay attention to the food or the nutrition you're giving yourself. It wrecks that gut biome. It's just killing off hundreds, thousands of gut bacteria that were doing you a favor. You're just killing them off, but then you don't go back and replace them. So then you're doing the underlying cell tissue damage by not providing them the little bacteria they need to keep themselves healthy and to help break down stuff, or you're just not taking in proper nutrition. There are all sorts of different factors. And that's really my realm of expertise is in in that situation. So, before I ramble on and on and on about that, we have this thing known as the body. And the body is, again, this, this weird coral reef thing. And then we have the mind, the mental body. This is the realm of depression. Your depression is your mental health state. It is the mental mind. And it's a translation point between what we'll get into next, the spiritual body and the physical body. You are like an omnipotent God in control of this physical self form. The Greeks knew this quite a bit. Greek Stoicism is based on this loosely, but also just the the Greek mythos and the Greek form and Greek philosophy is based on this triple body thing. In fact, if we learn to, if we lean over to the Eastern practices, we get you know Shen Qi and Jing, which is the the way the Chinese traditional medicine breaks it out. You know, we get the spiritual Buddhisms of. Uh, Japan, specifically uh, Shinto Buddhism and how everything has a spirit and a physical form and there's a manifestation of what's known as the the controlling factor, the mind that controls those things. So your mind is ruled by this depression thing as we already talked about. That's mental health, right? But the mind is its own self body. It's, It's its own thing. It's its own functional idea. And it has control for the most part over this physical form. That's why you are an omnipotent presence over the body, so when you go, mmm, cheeseburger, a cheeseburger makes its way to your face hole, and you eat the cheeseburger, and then the body takes care of the rest for you. You don't have to sit there and go, okay, chew, 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 maceration, swallow. Cool, got that part. Mm, kind of in control of that. Taste, tasty bits. Then you forget what happens next. Now it goes into the stomach. You don't think, okay, stomach, I need you to churn slowly. That the will st- produce some more stomach acid. This was a big meal. We're going to need a little more acid to break this down. Awesome. Now I need you to... Okay, you've broken down the gluten fibers just enough, the protein fibers. Okay, cool. Now we've, we've separated out. We have uh, this polymerous chain. We have um, this protein chain. We have this uh, sucralote. Um, or we also have... Oh, oh, we got some vitamins in here. Okay, cool. Oh, we have some some sulfur, some phosphate. We're going to need those for later, a little bit of... Oh, oh, by the way, at the same time, oxygen, we need oxygen for all these processes. Lungs, keep breathing. Okay. And then, all right, we've broken it down enough. Let's open up the, um, the valve into the, the small intestine and let's get that moving. All right, let's do peristalsis, which is the act of slowly squeezing the intestine line to move things along. And let's get the back. I hey, tell all the bacteria in there, hey, you got to go to work now, do your job. We don't do any of that shit. We just go mmm cheeseburger face hole or mmm carrot face hole or you know protein whatever. That's why we're an omnipotent presence over the body, and the body does us a great service in doing all these things, these things selfishly and also also selfishly, because we need to give it nutrients. We need to give it what it needs to live. It's a it's a sealed system. The skin seals all the things. Essentially, you're just a giant donut the 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 digestive system, which goes from you know face to exc- excrement, is a sealed system. It, it, it's static outside of your body, so you're just a donut, really. This is all anatomy and physiology. Again, I I really focus on the body part because it's what I'm passionate about. And that's what I do. I do body work. I'm a body worker. I work with people's bodies. I help them do better function and, and use and all those things. So we have this thing known as the mind. It has an omnipotent presence over the body and it's ruled by the world of ego and I. And those are all things that are part of our depression. So when our depression tells us I feel like shit and the only way for me to feel better is to drink alcohol Then that process occurs, but we'd never make the connection usually between where that's occurring and how it's affecting us. Remember, don't ask why questions, not about why right now. It's about asking how, how does, how does me having a bad day affect my body? Well, here's the chain. And this is very simplified, oversimplified methodology of thinking about this. You had a shitty day. You want to feel better. But during that shitty day, what you didn't notice because we're an omnipotent presence over the body and the body has this thing known as the endocrine system, which is your hormones. The endocrine system has gone ahead and said, we're experiencing stress of some sort. The mind is, it's tense. Something it's, 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 it's focusing hard on things. Or maybe it's a little just floaty and not really able to focus. We got to... We gotta lock things down a little bit. Let's raise our cortisol levels. Cortisol is the stress hormone. So our cortisol levels go up. When our cortisol levels go up, that signals to the rest of the body, all the you know, all the other cellular tissues. Hey, there's a little bit of stress going on. Cortisol levels are up. You need to do some things. Okay, we, maybe we need to we need to you know raise the heart rate a little bit, or you know we need to tense up certain muscles to do all sorts of crazy things happen. Well, as cortisol levels are happening are raising. We also notice that like, we don't like this feeling. This This is not, this stress environment that we're in, we don't want to be here. So we lower dopamine. Dopamine's the the uh, reward hormone. It's, it's what you get when you do something that your body likes. So like eating a really calori- a caloric meal, our body goes, yeah, that's great. We need calories. We like those. So it gives you a dopamine hit. Sexual intercourse, dopamine hit. Even eating sugar, just because sugar are high in calories, dopamine hit. Dopamine's the reward chemical for the things that the body, not the mind, the body want you to do more often, the things they like. Now, the body's super smart, but sometimes it's not smart in the sense of like, it'll just keep taking as much dopamine as you'll give it. This is also what happens with addiction. We give the body drugs, we give the body alcohol, we give the body some sort of coping mechanism, as I call them, it's going to get a dopamine hit, and the body just thinks, yeah, Dopamine. I like that. The problem is the cortisol levels are going up. So the body's seeking out that dopamine hit. So it's telling us drink, drink, come on, come on, Phil, drink. You know, you want to drink, or you know, you want to smoke some weed or, you know, any one of those things, any one of those addictions, maybe it's even a harder addiction. That's the problem is addiction raises the necessary level for those dopamine levels to continue to go up. Nicotine does that you know, smoking cigarettes. I used to smoke. I don't anymore. I quit a long time ago, but th- that increases the level of dopamine I have to get over the threshold for to even feel like dopamine happened, like a dopamine hit happened. There's a, another chemical that comes into play here. It's known as serotonin. Serotonin is the mood stabilizer. So as cortisol rises and dopamine doesn't rise, serotonin tries to rise up with it. And then sometimes we'll give a dopamine hit and then serotonin can rise up a little bit too. And that will stabilize our mood. But the problem is when dopamine drops dramatically, serotonin might either increase or decrease dramatically as well. So cortisol load. So they have this weird interplay. Now, another one that happens in this, the big four chemicals, the the fourth one in the list is neuroepinephrine. Neuroepinephrine is um, adrenaline, essentially. It's neuro... Uh, the neuro epinephrine set controls our adrenal glands. I'll just leave it at that. So adrenaline, you know, those people who are adrenaline junkies, you can be addicted to that because it helps with the dopamine hit. So you have these four major chemicals dopamine, serotonin, cortisol, and epinephrine who make up the chemical, the major chemical cocktails of how our body's feeling or what our body's going through. Another one on the list is oxytocin. You can kind of include that as the fourth major one. That's what they call, call quote unquote, the love hormone. But that whole chemical mixture that's happening throughout the day is making the body crave things, want things, and sending those signals back to the neuro, uh, the central nervous system and also the vagus nervous system. The whole nervous system in general. Well, what does that mean for our mind space? Well, our depression's getting bombarded with all this information because we have to take care of our bodies. That's what the mind does; it takes care of the body, and the body only has one person to signal: you, your mind, the eye space, the depression space. It has to tell you, "Hey, you need to eat, asshole," or "Hey, you need to sleep, asshole." It has to tell you those things because we don't pay attention to it. We rarely think about that interplay of what am I doing to help take care of this thing? I'm in control of you. are the resp- You are responsible for your body. And for the longest time, I never understood that. So I'm not, I'm not harping on you. If you're still in that realm of things, it's totally okay. It took me a really long time to understand the differentiation here. It's not an easy thing to understand or go through, but I started practicing martial arts and that's where I learned this interplay. I learned this interplay of self first of making a differentiation between the mental space and the, the, the physical space, the, the mental health and the physical health and how they're two different selves. But then the control point of the mind and saying, Oh, wait a minute. I'm a consciousness that just happens to have given this physical form that I have control over, but I can be a shitty ruler you know, I can be the shitty king of the castle or I can be a, a, an omnipotent good presence in the castle and I can take care of this body. And I didn't, I didn't know that for a really long time. So I treated my body badly and I got bad results from that. And part of my suicidal nature was I was willing to harm my body. And that is a, that is a terrible feedback loop because as you harm the body, it programs it that that's normal. And it also programs your mind that that's also normal that you can cause harm to this thing. That's totally Okay. The reality is I'm killing something. Anytime you break your own tissue or you – I used to punch myself um, because I I couldn't show cuts. So I'd punch myself in the shoulder and I'd bruise heavily. Oh, I'd beat the shit out of myself or the top of my thighs so people wouldn't see it. You know, you're killing off cells. You're killing off bacteria. You know, eating badly and those types of – you're doing damage to the body. But I didn't think about that. I said, I said to myself, oh, I'm doing damage to myself. Yeah, you, you piece of shit. You, you deserve this. And I would do that to myself. And eventually, somewhere along the lines, and I can't really tell you how or when, I made this massive distinction between, wait a minute, Phil. And I'm hoping that other people can learn from this. I made this massive distinction between, hey, your, your depression your body's your body and you're in, you're in charge of that and how you treat that body in some ways says some things about you. I didn't want to see myself as someone who hurt my body because my body didn't do anything wrong. It didn't do anything to me. You know, that'd be like walking through the uh, playground and kicking puppies. I'm not about that. That's not who I am. So I'm in charge of this. I have to take care of this body. I'm in charge of it. I have to take care of it. And that's when I learned the distinction between the, there's this self known as the physical form and there's this self known as the mind. But the picture wasn't complete there. And I had to spend even more time trying to figure out that interplay. And I got, I got okay with it. You know, I I had spurts of not being actively suicidal, but I, you know, I still, had some self harm things going on and I really didn't think much of myself. And I often used others like getting others to like me to somehow use that as some example of like, okay, I'm doing it right. And that gave up pieces of me. And then I had to learn, Oh, wait a minute. Now that I've learned, I got to take care of this physical form. And I'm not some super fit person. I'm not, you know, I do my best. I have a lot to say on the health and wellness side of things. As far as I don't believe weight loss equals health reduction of body fat that might equal health, but weight loss doesn't maybe you should just lift wicks, get swole and put on 30 pounds of muscle. That's totally fine too. So weight loss, I don't think equates to, to health or being healthy, you know, again, reduction of body fat might be, yeah, the body likes that's good. Reduce body fat. So, you know, Again, I'll digress on that because I could go endlessly. I can go on endlessly. I do. It's part of my part of my business practice. It's, I do health and wellness. I, I'm a body worker. So I had to learn that. But part of learning that was, oh, okay, well, I can take care of this physical form. That's great. But I wasn't taking care of my mental health. I wasn't taking care of my mental body. So I had to learn what the mind is. And the mind, again, is this home for depression. I kind of knew it. I had been working on this theory that there's this thing known as depression. So where was the click over there? The click over was learning that this depression is something you can use. And I'm here to tell you that you can learn to use your depression. This is part of the act of being self-aware. Being self-aware is learning how to use our depression and then applying it to our mental health, that mental form, that mental body that we live in. And then that can also have, you know, positive effects down onto the physical body that we live in. There's more to it though, because we have to learn what the mental body does. And the mental body does one very important thing. It translates. It translates all of the communication from what's above to what's below. It translates all the communication from the self body, the the physical body to the self body of the mind that's a translation thing. The body's constantly sending information and the mind has to figure out Whoa, what are you trying to tell me? You know, are you hungry? Are you you know, are you, you um, are you cold? Do I need to throw another log on the fire? Do I need to grab a blanket? Are you tired? Do I need to rest? You know, that's part of the whole process. So as it's figuring these things out, it kind of ends up with well, there's a one way street going on here, right? Like, okay, the body's telling me a bunch of things, and I'm trying to tell it a bunch of things, but like, that doesn't feel complete yet. There's this question I've been leaving out this entire time why? Uh oh, now we're back to why questions. So I had to sit on that for a really long time. And part of doing this podcast was working of, working inside of the interplay. I always knew that there was this three health, well, not always, but I had figured out that there was these three health bodies and I really got into the the mental health, self-awareness side of it. And it wasn't far enough. That's, that's the conclusion I came to is it can't just be these two things. It can't just be the physical form and the mental form because that's not a complete picture. Here's why. Most recently, after episode 31, I started opening up into this idea of what's spirituality. What is it? What's it do? What's it for? How does it affect us? How do we work with it? How do we interact with it? What is this other health body? What is this spiritual health body? This thing that people somehow draw power from, and you know they might use that vernacular, or in the traditional Chinese medicine sense of it, what is this thing known as Shen, spirit? Because in, in traditional martial and Chinese martial arts. We have qi, that's, that's a common practice, so someone to cultivate their qi, but it's expressed through jing, action. Qi is an expression of shen, though. So I, I knew how to pr- produce jing. I can produce quite a few of the jings. There's, um, I th- some say 108, some say more, but there's all these these different types of jing. There's listening jing, there's explosive jing, there's um, a rooting jing, there's uh, subtle jing, uh, Jing, there's floating Jing, there's sinking Jing, there's there's all of these different actions and, and forces. Jing is like a force, an, an action. And Qi is, Jing is an expression of Qi, and Qi is this internal vital force. Okay, but Qi is also an expression of, just like Jing is an expression of Qi, Qi is an expression of Shen, and Shen is defined as being spirit, and in traditional Chinese medicine it's often referred to as what lives in the heart. Take that as an anal- an analogy term of Shen lives and sleeps in the heart. When, you know, when we sleep, Shen returns to the heart and goes to sleep and then it is expressed outward. But it comes from something else. If we step into the Ayurvedic medicines and we step into the systems using uh, prana, commonly referred to as chakra, which is different. You have chakras, but they are taking in and translating prana, which is universal life energy. Um, so you have the pranic methods. Um, reiki actually uses, it's called reiki, but it works with chakras, which are actually the prana sets. In traditional Chinese medicine, it's the um, those same locations or ideas of that intake extake are known as the dantians. So there's, there's correlation throughout all the systems. And that's what I was running into in my martial arts practices and in my martial practices when I started to study warfare and martialism. I'll get into that in a little bit. But there's this other thing. There's this other vital energy. That isn't just vital force, because that's that's chi, but that's controlled by the mind. Because where you send your, here we go, w- ready for it, awareness is where chi goes. Part of learning how to use chi, you learn to send your awareness somewhere. And awareness is a, is a control structure of the mind. That's part of the mind body. The mind body controls where the awareness goes. It controls where it's focusing. So if I focus on my palms and my hands, i can express my chi my chi will go there and once chi goes somewhere blood is not far behind so we can focus our awareness which predecesses our chi and then chi predecesses the jing and the jing might be increased cardiovascular blood flow okay i've seen that i've worked with that and the same thing goes for chakra with prana as we focus on one of our chakras we we can we Send the mind to focus there. Often done through breathing practices. Um, as a side note, I've said before, and I'll say again, and I will continue to say, all meditation is awareness of breath. Period. All meditation is awareness of breath. And I might get into that in the end of this. But as we send our awareness to one of the chakras, we 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 intake or take prana. Remember, they're gateways. They take in and process, and also expel and process. Inward and outward. That's why they have the lotus, you know, they look like, and they go from top to bottom. Um, It's different for male and female. They start either in a clockwise or a counterclockwise pattern, and there's seven of them in the body that sit actually inside the physical form. And this this will all make sense in a second, I promise. They start in a clockwise or counterclockwise spiral pattern, and that's how they intake and extake prana with the universe. But they're exchanging. And this is where a lot of chakra stuff gets stuck and a lot of the research and the things I do are to break down the barriers that we've been teaching people because there's a lot more importance in not treating people like they're idiots or hiding information behind paywalls because people are too insecure about being a good practitioner and having this secret information that can get people to keep paying them for. I fucking hate that shit. So I've actively worked against it. So we have these seven chakras that are inside the human body. You have more than just seven chakras. In fact, there are two other versions of the chakra system that no one ever sees. One is the 13 system and another one is the 32 system. And there's actually more than that. It all it goes all the way out to 108 if you really get super in depth into the etheric bodies. And there's some there's some switch over and you start to clash some systems together, but there are 13 in the in the traditional methodologies. There's 13 shockers that someone can easily interact with. So you have the seven shockers in the body, body, and then you have um, I'm probably going to get these wrong, and I apologize because it's been a really long time since I've studied this. But you have two more gates above the head that gets us to nine, and then you have uh, two gates. I'm sorry. One gate below that gets us to uh, 10 and then there are three. It's tough because like now we break it down to a 3d view. So let's just stick with the 10. That's an easy number to remember. Um, You have the seven inside the body, then add one below the body and two above that gets us to the the 10 mark. There's three more, but they have to do with coordinate planing, and it gets farther into the etheric bodies, and I'm not doing this any justice, and I probably have some of it slightly wrong, but if you want to jump out to the 32, you have the seven internal to the body on the center line, one in each shoulder, one in each hip, one in each palm, one in each foot, you know. so there's all of these epicenters. Let's put all this together into a bigger, broader spectrum because that's kind of what I do is I like to take information from all these systems I've studied and where's the root of it all from, right? Well, in traditional Chinese medicine and also in Ayurvedic medicine, we have these things known as the greater and lesser governing channel, and they have to do with the meridian system. And the meridian systems flow throughout the body. And traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, and either other medicines, ancient medicine systems, even the um, alchemists kind of knew of these systems, but the traditional Chinese medicine and the Ayurvedic medicines are the ones who, because it comes from the Brahmic, uh, brahmic ideas of how all this lines up. But we have these things like pressure points and meridians and all these other things that line up to the western system of lymphatic system and the uh, fascial system. So they all have these correlations throughout history, but we, we keep them all very separated. And I get all that, but again, breaking down barriers, all of them line up to say, hey, there's more than just what this physical body's doing. We're exchanging Energies in and outside of the body. In fact, the body has this thing known as the bioelectric field. The representation of the bioelectric field in traditional Chinese medicine is known as qi. The representation of the traditional uh, of the bioelectric field in Ayurvedic medicine is the pranic field, or um, what's commonly referred to as the etheric bodies, the astral bodies, if you will. It's another name that. You, that's one. It's probably more common nowadays. Is the astral bodies or the astral forms? That's how you you end up with this massive chakra system because you have these other haloed health bodies that go outside the body. That's in in Japan. The common referred term was ki. The, the, the key system. Now, Japanese is, is more of an internal, how they practice key cultivation is more internally and not so much externally. In fact, they do have, and again, I'm not doing justice to all this. This is just things that I remember and how it all comes to me in my mind. Uh, the practice of key cultivation allows for extrasensory, which is really what they're talking about, bioelectric field of like taking in outside information. Um, but making it, but the practices are more internal. But you have the, you know, we have key, Chi, QI, Chi, Prana. If you step into more of my heritage, um, which is the, you know, Nordic system, uh, North Germanic tribes, you have these healers and people that we called witches. Uh, you have the Druids from um, Scotland and Ireland the druidic orders which also came across in the you know, druidic orders and in, into you know the north germanic tribes and going down into like that's kind of what the roman empire was fighting against was these tribal ideas but even in the roman you know and we talk about roman or greek we have the pantheons so we have the mystics um, it gets really complicated but every every society every culture has had one of these and when i look at things i'm very specific to look at Where do they all line up? We did this in martial arts. It was called uh, Technique Concepts and Principles. And I know I'm getting a little off topic and I'll bring it back here, I promise. But this is important to understand how the podcast is lined up, how my brain works to hopefully help you get a better understanding. That's why this is the recap episode. Techniques are ways of doing something. Everyone has a technique for washing their body in the shower. That's my example I use for that because it's uniquely to a person. Concepts are methodologies to make techniques work better. So conceptually, it might be a better idea to wash yourself from toe, I'm sorry, from head to toe. So you wash the dirt down, right? Or the grime down, you know, clean top and then, you know, don't take dirty back up to clean. And then there's principles of Or there's principles that make concepts and techniques both better. A principal idea of washing yourself might be to use soap right? To use some, or even just to do it in water. Because if you just take a towel, that's technically washing yourself. Washing is just making something else dirty. You can't actually clean something. You can only make something else dirty. So, you know, using water or taking a bath, that's the principal idea. So if you're cleaning yourself. That's th- that's what we're trying to do. The technique is cleaning. Conceptually, there's plenty of different ways to go about that cleaning process, but principally we're using water to wash off dirt and filth and grime and stuff we don't want there. Cause you can take a bath, you can take a shower, you can go swimming, you can, you know, so that's a poor representation, but hopefully it makes sense to you. So when we use that in martial arts, we would look at this grandmaster, this grandmaster, and this grandmaster, you know, the list can go on and on, but you look at all these masters and if one of them agrees and all the other ones are like, dude, you're, you're a quack. Okay. We keep it in mind, but maybe it's not the best idea. If, two out of the three agree, hey, maybe that's a concept. Maybe there's a conceptual idea that we can work out. If all of them agreed, maybe that's a principle idea. So I, you can use that in any function. In fact, this is actually where first principle thinking kind of steps in. But more specifically to that, if you look at philosoph- philosophical uh, ways of thinking and you step into the Greek um the Greek methodologies for thinking you end up with uh, Greek retroduction. Retroduction is a way of breaking down information into usable pieces and then deciphering outcomes from it. So retroduction says there's infinite possibilities. Here's the plausible ones. These are the most, these are the ones that have a 75% percent chance to be you know, more accurate than the others, narrow that down, narrow it down, narrow it down, narrow it down. Maybe we're left with two or three. Okay, I can make plausible statements based on these two or three options. That's Greek Retroduction. That way of thinking gets us into taking all of these ancient cultures, all of these ancient health practices, spiritual practices, and we can kind of come up with baselines of, hey, maybe this is where we're lacking in today's society or the ways we're thinking about it. That's how I came up with these ideas is by breaking all those things down with retroduction, with, you know, this is how I came up with what is self. All of the ancient systems have a three. All duality is trinity. I used to say triality to mess with people, but it's all trinity. Yin-yang, trinity. Here's why. Yin-yang is a measurement system. You can't have yin without yang. You can't have yang without yin. It's a measurement of two sides of the same coin. The Yin-yang is a coin, and on either side, there's there's yin and yang. They are measurements of each other. You might say something is light, or you might say something is dark. A room is light or lit, or a room is dark or or unlit. That's a measurement of how much light or visual spectrum is in the, the room. Going back to the health bodies I was talking about, about the bioelectric fields and prana and all that stuff, those also deal with this light spectrum thing or unseen forces. So you have this trinity idea, physical, mental, other. What is that other thing? And that's where I was left. I know it was a long-winded way of getting to here, but it was all important to know all that because now you kind of maybe hopefully know how I got to this idea of, oh, there must be this thing known as spirituality. And so I decided to start breaking that down. And some of the examples I just gave you and some of the ways of thinking I just gave you are important because it's where I took my processing from. And specifically, you know, if you look at my my genetical background, like something like the the North Pantheon of, you know, the North Germanic tribes, commonly referred to as nowadays as Vikings, but that you had on sea Vikings, you had land Vikings, Viking Viking is an action you go Vik to vike is to go loot and plunder and do all that stuff. So, yes, you had people that viked, and we call them the Vikings. But there was these tribal groups, you know, the inland ones ended up becoming more farmers. But you have these tribal ideas. And when you look at those, you have all of these individuals that the major organized religions of the world demonized. And they've done this throughout every historical event in in cultural societies. They've demonized these others or these tribal people. Uh, It's how we boiled things down to a a systematic one God system. And that has to do with the Abrahamic religions. I'm mentioning all this because I have to, at this point, mention one of my biggest standpoints that I I probably will, the hill I might die on is I do not believe organized religion is a good thing. Faith, belief, and all those structures, those are intrinsic to humanity. I'm going to get into that. I'm getting to the spirituality thing, I promise. Faith, religion, this other body, this other spiritual body is intrinsic to the human system and it's necessary. It's absolute need. I'm going to explain why here in a second. Organized religion destroys that. There is no way, function, form, idea, method, there's no principle situation in which someone else can tell you what to believe in, why to believe it, how to believe it, when to believe it, that doesn't exist. Your depression is uniquely yours. You have to come up with these ideas yourself. You have to come up with these understandings yourself. Your physical form is your, you you control it no God function, anything else. You may allow a belief structure of a God. That's totally fine. If it's your own to be in control of that, to, to shape or form that, to heal that, if you will. But you can't allow someone else to do that and say that for you. That's not allowed. I'm okay with religions, just not organized religions. A religion must be yours. Here's why we have this other thing that I've kind of described Poorly, but I'm trying to can, I'm trying to keep all this inside of a normal episode length. I after the sequitur episode episode 31 started to delve into what is spirituality and where does it come from. Remember how I was talking about all of these ancient teachings and religions and and energy systems and even martial arts practices and traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, uh The uh, spiritual mysticism of the North Pantheon, the Greek Pantheon, the Roman Pantheon, which are slightly different. Sovereign Americans, which we commonly refer to as Native Americans, their practices, um, not that I know quite a bit about it, but they fall into this category of how they deal with things and how they believe that there's this other spiritual form. Ancient Egyptians, great cultural study of how they... Interplay these three health bodies together. All of that boils down into there's this, this other, just like we're an omnipotent presence over these physical forms. There's something that's an omnipotent presence over our mental states. And it has to do with everything we can't quote unquote sense with the physical body. And that's where I got stuck So I had to break it out in some way. And the way I broke it out is something that's mentioned in alchemy and in some cases mentioned in other forms of understanding. I'll I'll just put it that way. Philosophies and and a lot of philosophies talk about these these things known as the primordials. The primordials are typically mentioned in the stories of ancient religions or um, pantheons, if you will, multiple God sets or meant or, or what's known as multiple God heads or just the origin story of gods in general. You have these things known as primordials. And the first primordial is chaos. This is where things go awry. And this is why I, I disagree with organized religions. Organized religions have throughout history and or I define organized religions are of, of ones that are, canonical writings in which they tell you this is what you must believe. Not that the canonical writings themselves are wrong. The Bible is a fascinating study of ancient culture. I think it's an even more fascinating study of manipulation of history because the, New, sorry, the Old Testament is not a it's not a factor in any way. Um, it's just kind of a, the Old Testament just gives credence to why the New Testament's important. The Old Testament itself, though, is, I don't want to say made up, but I'll i will leave it at that. Um, I shouldn't leave it at that, but I'm just going to step away from that for right now to get on to more important things. So these organized systems that don't allow for flexibility of understanding all have one thing in common. The description of or definition of creation in which they say a God created. A singular God. Now it's never a singular God because we have this thing known as Trinity. In the Christian religions we know it as the Son, um, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. That's a representation. Just like Shen, Chi, and Jing is a representation of Trinity, Son, uh, Son, Father, and Holy Spirit is a representation. They all make up something. So if we look at, let's just look at this one because The Abrahamic religions are important to the cultural reference of society. Many people practice Abrahamic religions. The Abrahamic religions are the religions found in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Those are the three major Abrahamic religions. They all differ in their opinion of who the prophets are. Prophets is plural, by the way. Um, Some sing one, some think multiple. That's why you have breakdowns, not breakdowns, but Differentiations of sects S-C-S-E-C-T-S, in each one of those Abrahamic overarching religions. So in Christianity, we have Presbyterians, Catholics, Protestants, uh, Mennonites. You know, we have all the, all of those. In Judaism, we have those who believe in the Talmud and those who believe in the Zohar. And you know, we have um, Hasidic. We have you know breaks out into multiple functions. In Islam, we have the Shunis and the si- uh, the Shiites which are the two major factions, but there's other different understandings. We have the Sikhs who are, a, I love the Sikhs. They're just, I just, their understanding of the world is fascinating and I love them. Um, you know, so there's these different sects as that make up different understandings of these canonical writings, but all of them tend to push this idea of a singular creation and this is a massive differentiation in, in world history, in cultural history, in, in societal history, because it makes up these things known as societies and cultures, and it defines them in some cases. And they all lean back to this idea of creation. And what makes the Abrahamic religions different than the religions that came before it is they believe in a singular creation point, that a God or their God created them. And this world and everything else, in the um, Christian side of things, it's typically said, "Let there be light," and you know God created light, and He worked for six days and seventh day He rested. And I I won't deign to understand enough about that to give you a full description. Please go talk to a pastor, um, go talk to a rabbi, go talk to um, any Muslim um, spiritual leader, go talk to them, see what they believe in. It's a fascinating idea. You know, they're not wrong. I'm not saying any one of these people is wrong. I'm saying the organizations are the problem. Because the organization, specifically one known as the Catholic Church, pushed a singular idea of creation. Before that, when we had what's known as the pantheons or polytheism, belief in multiple different gods, all of those describe something much different. They describe this thing as known as the primordials. And this is why something like the North's Pantheon or even the Egyptian Pantheon or the Greek Pantheon or the Roman Pantheon could all incorporate what was known as the Christian Godhead. And most of them did have some idea of what that was. In the Roman culture, we get the breakdown of... um, the original polytheism and the forced structure of what's known as Roman Catholicism, which is where they essentially forced out the idea of worshiping the pantheon for the idea of a singular God. When that was happening, when Constantine, who was the the major, the one who really brought that to fruition, made that happen, there was a singular point where. Or well, not a singular point, but a point where the Roman pantheon included the Christian God. It was just part of the pantheon. You could worship the Christian God. And that was a sun god, technically, which is where the problem existed, that the Christian God was a God of the sun, but it was really the, the creation, and this is, I'm probably going to get get a fuck ton of slack, uh, um, slack for this, but whatever, this is just how I see things you don't agree you don't agree and i'm really happy you don't agree because then maybe we can have a cool conversation about it the the christian god was a representation from the people's perspective of a sun god and it had trinity just like all of the pantheons had a trinity that trinity was all wrapped up into one godhead one god and that god included the father the son and the holy spirit the son being the representation of the physical human body, the father being the representation of the, of the, the human mind and the spirit being the representation of this other, the spirit thing, this thing we can't see or we don't know how to interact with. This is all important. I promise. Stepping back, we have these pantheons that also could incorporate another God. Why could they incorporate this new Christian God? Well, here's why. And often many of them had a representation for it. And the, 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 the new religions, which were singular in, in godhood, had to destroy that idea. They couldn't allow these pantheons to include their god. That, that was everything they stood against at that point because they needed people to be connected under this one unified idea. It's how cultures were shaped. It's how civilizations were shaped at that point. Um, so stepping back into these, these multi-pantheon god systems, they had these things known as primordials. The primordials are described as thus. And there's some changes and there's some differentiations, but there's typically four. Well, this steps out of the idea of Trinity, Phil. How does that work? Hmm. It's known as these things known as cycles. And these are the episodes I've been talking about more recently. Episode 32, 33, 34, 35, and then into 36, we had chaos, creation, order, and destruction leading into the cycles thereof. Chaos is what came first, in every description of every pantheon for the most part, and even in some cases Jainism, which is a study or understanding of karma and dharma and all of that worlds, there's this idea of infinite possibility known as chaos. In today's modern vernacular in today's modern society we use chaos as a term with the connotation of negativity. That things are fucking chaotic and it's crazy and no one knows what's going on. When in fact we look at something like Merriam-Webster's dictionary, which is typically where I get all of my def- actually it is where I get all of my f- definitions from because I like to use one source for that because it keeps everything uniform. Chaos is described very differently on Merriam-Webster's dictionary in its multiple definitions. And what we use it as the first definition is something along the lines of the point in which there's utter confusion. There's another definition in the list where it defines chaos as being the point in which possibility is supreme. Those are vastly different ideas. So when we look at ancient cultures, we have this idea of chaos and chaos is really represented as infinite possibility in traditional uh, Chinese understandings of their pantheons and gods. Chaos is often represented as the the great changer. The um, um, in the king in the story of the Monkey King, the Monkey King is chaos. It's just turning the god world upside down. Um, when we look at the North Pantheon, the Roman Pantheon, those types of things, we have this idea of chaos as being one of the primordials, where things are are born from. Chaos came first. Chaos was this primordial soup of things. And it was this infinite possibility. Then comes creation. Creation is the defining of something. It's to give something structure. That's it. Nothing more than that. It just gives something structure. So you take chaos, which is infinite possibilities, and you pick out some of those possibilities and some of those functions and you make a framework from there. We have order. Order is the filling of that framework. It is, I represent it as the yin-yang symbol. It is the, the, so you've, creation was defining a coin. Order was representing what the two sides of that coin are. It's the filling it of function and form. And once something is completely ordered, it falls into the next, the next primordial, destruction. And the function of destruction as the primordials was to bring things back to chaos. In fact, chaos begot, in some of the pantheons, the great destroyers. And those great destroyers brought something back to chaos. Chaos was, in fact, in control of destruction. And so chaos took on this moniker of what we commonly refer to as destruction. So we make chaos a destroyer. And that's not really true because destruction is its own personal primordial. It's its own function, its own part of the cycle but they are in cahoots in some ways. They go together. And so we have this thing as this cycle. So we have the cycle of chaos and creation and order, and then there's destruction, which brings things back to chaos. And that's an important idea to understand because it allows us to understand spirituality a little bit more, a little bit more defined. Because cycles is another important thing to look at. Cycles are everywhere. They're ever present. Um, we see this even into just going into the religion thing a little bit. There's this, this definition of life, right? You know, we have the circle of life, the cycles of life. And the great lie, in my personal opinion, was when we said that creation was the beginning. Because it eliminates possibilities that's what creation does. Remember, there's no connotation in any of this. It's not good or bad or, you know. Creation though is giving something structure. But that also eliminates possibilities. And so if the conversation or the definition of a religion organized is to say that creation was the first point, then we've eliminated all possibilities. And thus we've limited People, We've limited the way of thinking. We've limited the possibilities of outcome. And this may have been done from a very positive situation. We wanted, you know, peace and love and happiness. That's all fine and dandy. But it also allowed for the manipulation of people's mental states. Because that's where this is coming from. Creation, the, the, the story there... So, an organized religion has control over the mental space. It defines things. So, stepping back to this idea of self, we have the physical form, we have the mental form, and we have the spiritual form. Well, if the spiritual form is telling the mental form that this is how it is, that there are no possibilities over here, we just had this creation thing, and from there, things go on, we just have creation, order, and destruction, and that's all that exists, and everything else returns to God. Then we can, we can weave tales like you must exalt yourself for your God. Exalt, exaltation means to live for and die for, specifically die for, a God. So this big lie known as creation was the first point eliminates the possibilities. So it eliminates the arguments against it. That's a brilliant idea. That's not to say that you can't have faith and belief. Now we're going to get into that. We're going to get into what spirituality really is, or at least where I'm at in, in my idea of it. And that's why this is the recap episode, because we've, you know, now that we're getting into the final part of this episode, we started with this idea of, or at least I started with this idea of what is mental health? What is self-awareness? We got to apply this thing known as depression. Depression is the mental health body. Self is the whole story it's the spiritual the mental and the physical. Okay, well that means that I need to understand this other thing known as the the physical body because the mental body is where the translations are happening. And we have, you know, ancient texts like Hermes Trismegistus saying there's this thing known as uh the laws of the universe and one of those laws is as above so below. Well, part of this law is the law of balance. And in fact, we can see this everywhere. One of the universal laws that I've stumbled upon is that there is this thing known as balance and the world or the universe is constantly seeking balance. That's the true law that it's always seeking balance. The caveat there that it's, it's doing it through asymmetry. I like to express this in the human body quite often. When we look at the human form, the human form is a very balanced system, but it does it asymmetrically. So to look at just one piece of that, you have lungs and you have a heart. Well, your chest cavity, your lungs, how they grow, they make a slight change in the the lungs side to side. Your left lung is actually slightly smaller than your right lung. And that's just to make just enough room for your heart. Wait, do I have that backwards? If I have that backwards, I apologize. Sometimes I get it backwards and I don't really feel like thinking about it right now. You have one lung that's slightly smaller to make a nice little cavity for your heart to sit in. That's asymmetrical balance. It's a brilliant system, and it has to do with pressure pressure and motivation. This is how weather works. This is how etheric physics work, and I'll digress on all of that right now because I've waxed poetically about it before, and this is maybe not the time, but that understanding that there are these universal laws, and there's this thing like balance, and and as above, so below, we learned that this, this mental health form does some translation for us. So you may have noticed that I forgot to describe the other part of of the two words, self-awareness. So let's do that now before we jump back into what I'm defining as the necessity for spirituality and how that works. Awareness, I have come to define as attention to intentions, and I had to discover that there is this other health body, the spiritual health body, in order to come up with that description, that definition. Here's why. If the mind is translating things from the body, typically through the nervous system, and then has to take care of this body by translating what the fuck it's telling us, the same is true then for whatever other form there might be. This gives credence to answering why questions. This gives reasoning for answering why questions. In fact, this is what allows us now to ask why questions, because I define why questions as being questions of spirituality, subjectivity, understanding of why you are who you are and do what you do all the time or what you should be doing or why you should be doing it this way and not that way, or, or why you should be a quote unquote, a good person compared to a bad person. Defining the representation of those two sides of the coin, right? Cause you can create something. If we look at the cycle, we have infinite possibility. We can create something, but then we got to order it. We got to give it the two sides. And if we order it to be something that destroys humanity, well, that's going to be the outcome. So, is that something we really want? Well, that's a spiritual question. Why would I do that? Or why would someone else do that? Ooh, that's, getting, that's getting dicey talking about those kind of questions. So, why questions are the, are the realm of spirituality. And this realm of spirituality includes things like morals and ethics. And, you know, that's why dogma is a very dangerous thing. I've said before, and I'll bring it up right now just to make a point. It's very important to find a health health practitioner in modern society, specifically 2020 and beyond, although it's 2022 right now, that practices medicine and not dogma. And in fact, that's important for anything really. Practicing of dogma is not going to get you anywhere. Practicing of true understanding of something, that'll get you somewhere. But I'll digress on that for now as I digress on many things. So, we have this thing that gives us cre- it gives us understanding of whys. Okay, well what does that what does that look like in this translation method of you know, other to mind to body, from body to mind to other? What's, what's that look like? Well, this is where attention to intentions come in because intentions, are the expression of the why questions. Our intentions express our morals, our ethics, our beliefs, our faiths. And without those, we can't answer these why questions. And this is where the necessity of spirituality starts to come in. So let's break this down just a little bit further again. Attention to intentions. The mind must be attentive To the intentions of the world around it. Because it tells us all the things we need to know. The intentions of our spiritual body are expressed through our physical form. Punch the puppy or pet the puppy. I'm being extreme with it, but think about it. The intention to punch the puppy expresses some sort of other spiritual nature which we often trap in the psychosis methodology or this psychological jargon and stuff. And we try to bring it out in the psyche. And my conversation there is maybe the translations are bad. Maybe it's not a bad person. Isn't that the argument we're kind of making specifically with the you know judicial system? And if someone can be... Um, I forget what the term is right now, but if someone can be rehabbed, isn't that the argument we're making? Is that people can be rehabilitated, be it either through a you know the judiciary process of you know someone going to prison, or in the rehab process of someone getting psychological evaluation and help, to the you know uh, even the spiritual process of you know people doing spiritual quote unquote healing. We have this understanding that we believe people to be rehabilitated or be able to be rehabilitated. That's an answering of why questions, but it's an expression in translation. What what we're really trying to do is help them understand and tweak their translation. And that's when I use the extreme expression of punch the puppy or pet the puppy. And we must be attentive to that because if something is screaming punch the puppy and we catch that translation as being, whoa, 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 that's that's the wrong translation. Puppy did nothing wrong, nor should I be reprimanding the punch- puppy by punching it. Maybe I need to be a little stern with it and be like, hey, you can't do that. That's not okay. But it doesn't mean I need to punch the puppy. So if we can be attentive to those translations, we can start to look at where they came from. Why are they happening? Those are spiritual questions. So attention is really important because attention is also what allows us to understand other people's motives. And the, the, the sensory apparatus that are around us. That's attention. And the sensory apparatus are not just the, the physical apparatus. I'm about to get to that, that's where the realm of spirituality comes in. Ooh, this is gonna be a long one. Um, I apologize for the length of this episode, but it's the recap, so bear with me. Now that we have this idea of attention, let's look at intentions. Well, intentions are the expression. So punch the puppy versus pet the puppy the thing that actually happens is the expression of the intention. And so we can look at something very specific here that intentions are measurement structures and thus they are measurements of coins. They're yin yang. They are measurement of st- a structure. Your intentions are what fill your creation. You are, or have been created. And in fact, you are destroyed and created constantly. Some thrill, three trillion times a second. That's just how the universe works. In my personal opinion, I've gotten to that before. I'll, I'll leave it alone for right now. But all these teasers I keep throwing out, right? Um, your intentions are what are what order you. So in that discussion right there, Let's look at something in, of going back to self-awareness and mental health. Self, before I get into spirituality too much. Self, as a recap. Physical form, mental form, spiritual form, or other. However you want to define it. I don't care. I'm just using spirit at this point because it's just a soul form maybe. I don't know. Whatever. It just, it's an easy word for everybody to catch on to. I'm still working on the vernacular on it. I'd like to change it a little bit. I just don't know what to what yet. So physical, mental, spiritual. Awesome. That's a self awareness, attention to intentions. The physical body can have intentions, the mental body can have intentions, and the spiritual body can have intentions. Anything can really have intentions. The dog can intend to bite you. Maybe it's in reaction to you having punched it. Think about the cycle there. So if we have those three things, right, we can have attention to the intentions of each one of those things, which means we can have self Awareness, We can be attentive to the intentions of our three health bodies. How they interact with each other, how they're interacting with the world around them. That interaction with the world around them happens through the mind, through your depression. Because that's his expression of the translations. So now you see how I'm defining all these things. Your depression is your expression of your intentions and the translated form through the mind, the mental mind, because the mind is what's translating up and down physical to spiritual and spiritual to physical mental, to spiritual spiritual to mental mental to physical and physical to mental. There's always a translation happening. Your depression is the expression of that both inward and outward. Remember expression can work both ways, how you intake the information of your sensory apparatus, that's a translation. Then the actions in which you take also a tr- expression, a translation. So awareness, attention to intentions. So let's ask some, let's ask two very important questions when it comes to mental health. This is how we apply our self-awareness, self-awareness being defined as the attention of the intentions of the physical, mental and, and spiritual health bodies. Say it again because repetition is the mother of all skill. Failure is its father. I'm going to say it two more times. Self awareness, in my description, my definition is attention to the intentions of the mental, physical, and spiritual health body. I probably should just say it in one step way. Self awareness is the attention of the intentions of the physical, mental, and spiritual health body. Cool. What's that mean? How do we apply it? Well, let's apply it to mental health. What is mental health? Depression. It is your depression. It's uniquely who you are. So how do you apply yourself to yourself? (gasps) Here we go. You ready? Ask yourself these two very important questions. What are your intentions towards yourself? And what are your intentions towards yourself? I'll say it again. What are your intentions for yourself? And what are your intentions towards yourself? This deals with the translations. This is your depression. It is all of the translations between the physical to the mental to the spiritual and all the way back down again. So let me give myself as an example. And again, I'm gonna you know, apologize because this this episode is just gonna run long. Because I need it to. <laughs> I've tried to be honest about myself throughout this entire podcast and tell you things about myself in hopes it can better help you understand yourself while also trying to define all of these different things going on between what's self-awareness, what's mental health and all that stuff. So let's talk about my depression for a second. I'll sidebar for for a, a quick trip to say comedians are really good at this and I'm no comedian, but comedians are fascinatingly good at, letting someone else see glimpses of what their depression is because they're sharing these anecdotal stories about how they've experienced the world while trying to give it this, this comedic spin. It's fascinating. In fact, a lot of storytelling is all about this. And this is why I say that there's this thing known as imagination. We're going to get to that when we talk about spirituality, but it has nothing to do with creativity. So, Hats off to comedians, hats off to storytellers, because they're really trying to give us glimpses into their depression. And as I said before, you can't understand someone else's depression. So I'm going to make another very important comment on this thing known as depression. Are you ready for it? Here it comes. Because this one gets thrown around a lot, and I I want people to better understand it, and I I want to use this as a line in the sand to fight against some of those breathy guru douchebags out there who are trying to express love and light, love and light, when they don't fucking understand what that means. They really don't. And I'm tired of it and it needs to end. Because there's a bunch of people out there charging people for doing stupid bullshit that has no effect on the world and the, the material world in the, the self at all. And they're just they just think they're some fucking guru and they're not. Guru is actually a, a a derogative term for those of you who do not know. You don't want to be a guru. Guru is a denom—it's a derogative term. You can absolutely be a yogi, but there is no such thing as a true guru. Guru is like saying like, you're a fucking quack. You're a snake oil salesman. That's what a guru is. I digress. Get a little heated. Where was I? Attention to intentions, all of that stuff. Oh, I got lost. I'm, I apologize. I got lost. I got to bring it back. I got to bring it back. I got to settle down. Gurus, all that nonsense. Love and light, right? Make this, I'm going to make this as, as clear-cut as I can. And it's it, it, it Lily is like a fight against people who keep touting this shit, thinking it's going to fix people, and it's not. It's just not going to fix people. You need to give them an understanding of why this matters. Here's why it matters: Love, something I don't understand. Didn't really grow up with it, but I've learned to define it. Specifically, I've learned to define, and this is my definition, and it might not fit everybody, I get that, but I think it's a damn good definition. I really do. And I don't say that about a lot of the things I come up with, but I really think it's a damn good definition. Your depression is uniquely who you are. No one else can understand it. So what does that mean for this idea of love? That A lot of people can't define what love is. Well, here's my definition. Hopefully it helps you. Unconditional love. Unconditional love. Unconditional love is, in my personal definition, the act of trying to understand someone else's depression knowing you never will. I'll say it again because I've just been repeating myself on the backside of this episode. Unconditional love, I define as trying to understand someone else's depression while knowing you You never will. You might get 99% of the way there, but ultimately you're going to fail. That's unconditional love. That's true form of love. Whatever this love thing might be. If I, if I got to define it, that's how I'm defining it. It's working every day to understand someone else's depression, someone else's uniqueness, someone else's way of seeing the world. Interacting with it. Understanding the translations that are happening between someone's physical, mental, and spiritual bodies on a regular basis every second of their life. Spending all the time and effort, specifically effort. Go back and listen to the effort episode, which was the episode right before this. Spending the effort to to understand that that's unconditional love. And by that definition, then, we can expand the idea of love. You know situationally, such as a mother's love for the child, a father's love for their child, um, a love between siblings, a love between friends. You know, that idea of love, if unconditional love is trying to understand someone else's depression, knowing you'll never be able to, but still trying, then I would define love as the carving out of the understanding or translation between your depression and someone else's. And this, this is how we bring love into the world, not love and light and just be respectful and be happy and, and, and accept your fellow person. Fuck that. Fuck that. That is an empty idea. You need to define yourselves, love and light people. I'm here to tell you that. I believe in you. I believe you can do it. Absolutely. I'm a great motivational speaker. Let me speak to you. Let me talk to you. Let me get in your ear because I'll I'll get you there. I will. But you got to understand that that's empty. It's hollow. It means nothing. There's no difference between that and the Catholic Church telling you, you need to believe in one God. You've given them nothing. You've given them no basis to work on. You can't do that. Let me change it for you just a little bit. And you don't have to believe a word I say because in the ultimate end, I'm just trying to get you to think. And I, I preach about not believing in preaching. So please shift this and use this however you need to use it. But here's my definition of love for you. And you can spread this around the world and then you'll get some shit done. Unconditional love is the act of trying to understand someone else's depression knowing you never will. And doing that in perpetuity. This is what true relationships are built on. True love between two individuals. That's what this is built on. The love of the family unit is built on this a little bit. Mind you, I'm someone who didn't grow up in that. I don't even know what it feels like or means. I've just learned to define it. If I can figure it out, everybody can figure it out. So that's unconditional love. Love... is putting in the effort to understand the translation between your depression and someone else's depression. To have a conversation between our depressions. One that has no bias and no connotation. It simply is a conversation between how someone else sees the world and you see the world It's how someone else interacts with the world and you interacting with the world. And the effort piece is the important part to actually try to actually put in effort into understanding that it's okay if someone else believes in a different God than you do. It's okay if someone believes that they don't want to interact with the puppy But then also understanding together that you're both like, no, no, no. We shouldn't punch puppies, but I'm just not a dog person. I'm more of a cat person. And that doesn't somehow drive a giant fucking wedge between us. And we have to be enemies because that's what organized religions do. And that's what the love and light thing does. That emptiness of idea leaves us with wedges in between each other because there's no way to bridge the gap. So I'll go back to the definition one more time. The definition of love is putting in the effort to understand and to look at the translations between your depression and my depression and everyone else's depression and your depression. That's love. My family was really bad at that and that's why I didn't feel loved. They didn't spend the time to understand in any way who I was. They didn't give a shit. In fact, they wanted me to mold me into being one way or another. They didn't give a shit what I really liked or, you know, what I was all about or what brought me joy or happiness or contentness because I've given up on the joy and happiness bullshit. That's not for me. I'm sorry. It could be for you. I'm totally on board. Again, I'll motivational speak the shit out of you. (laughs) I'll get you going. I'll get you there. It's just not for me. I like to be content. That's just who I am. I've learned about myself and I learned that I never experienced love. I didn't know what it felt like. No one in my family cared. And I'm not saying this to make you feel bad for me. None of that. Don't, I'm not, this isn't a pity party. I don't believe in the whose life was worst game. I don't even, I don't want to play that game. If you want to play that game, have fun. <laughs> Get some beers, have fun. You're just going to, it all ends badly. It all ends with, oh, feeling shitty. Stop playing that game. Um, but I define love in that, in that grand scheme. Love is trying to understand someone else's depression, just, just trying, just a little bit. Unconditional love is spending, pretty much the rest of your life trying to understand someone else's depression knowing you're not going to. So there absolutely could be unconditional love between two friends, between spouses, you know, that that absolutely can exist. But also this idea of just love can exist, but it can't be hollow. It can't just be love and light and just respect everyone. That's never going to happen. No one's ever going to, no one's going to respect everyone. You can't force that upon them either. This is why organized religions break down. This is why governments break down. This is why social political situations break down because you keep trying to force people into fucking boxes and drive fucking wedges between those boxes and then break break them down and break them down and break them down and break them down. I'll just be a broken record and say it a bunch of times. You can't do that. That's not true. Love. Love is trying to, to learn the differences And to interact with those depressions, knowing that they're they're completely different. They're absolutely unique. They will just continue to clash. Even if you both love cats, there's still going to be a clash of the depressions. Because without that, there's no uniqueness. You can't be an individual. And that's why my hat is off. Well, really beanie, because I usually wear a beanie and don't wear hats. My beanie is off to comedians and storytellers, because that's what they're trying to do. My beanie is off to people who share parts of themselves and go out and give motivational talks while also giving examples about themselves. That's why I try to do it as much as I can about myself because they're really trying to let people in to understanding their depression. Specifically comedians. It's it's a magical, if you want to see true magic, a comedian getting a stage uh, or a group of people or just you in your living room to laugh because you were able to grasp the comedy and the story and the punchline that they they intricately weaved together, that's that's art. That's 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 magic. It's amazing because they've literally given you a window into their depression. How they saw the world for that one moment of that interaction of that story of the dude ordering a coffee at Starbucks and getting called the wrong name. I'm not a comedian, I don't really fucking know. Go look at a great comedian, and go with it. It's also why some people just don't, they see some comedians and they're not really funny because it just didn't resonate with them. That's okay. So I'll step back off that pedestal for a bit, that that high horse of mine there. That's what my definitions of love is. And that kind of matters working forwardly here into spirituality. So we've talked about self. We've talked about awareness. We've talked about depression and mental health. I'm going to recap real quick, right before we get into spirituality here, one more time. Full recap. Self, physical, mental, spiritual, those three different health bodies. Awareness, attention to the intentions of self. Mental health, your depression, the unique way in which you see the world, interact with it, and yourself internally and externally self-awareness the attention to the intentions of the self in regards to the depression in which we live in that's how it's applied to mental health where mental health is applied to self-awareness there's this third thing we haven't talked about yet well, we've hit on but we haven't really defined much we know what the body is we know the mind is this translation please and it's ruled by depression. So what's spirituality? Well, I started off by telling you that there's these primordials, right? There's chaos and creation, order and destruction. And I kind of told you about how they work. If you want more about how all that goes, remember back episode 32 to 36, really. Well, to better understand what spirituality is, I had to look at the expression of senses, Because if the mind is the translation point, right? The mind is this place where we do translation. And one of those functions that I just talked about is this idea of love and how that all works, because that's a mystical, weird fucking world I don't really know much about. But I had to figure out how to define, and I I think I did pretty well, actually. I don't float my boat very much, but I'm pretty proud of myself on that one, what unconditional love and what, what love is. Setting that aside, I realized that love is a, it's a conceptual idea. It's not a principle. That's why, again, I'm against the love and light thing, because light's a principle. The world works on light. That they got right. They just don't understand what's going on there. They didn't study etheric physics. They don't understand how pressure motivation works in the world. They don't understand how the... Um, Uh, counter space and space works it it all gets very complicated into physics and magnetics and how electricity is and like how electricity is just a function of light and how Light is just a function of light and sounds a function of light. There's all these frequency things that we measure on the Hertzian scale, but the Hertzian scale is the way we use for translation to other different scales. And we have ultraviolet lights and lights we can't see and how they infrared light affects the human system and the mental system. But it's technically considered a spiritual idea because that's how spiritual healing of laying of hands works is where actually the human body is trained to then produce an infrared set that signals the other body to do things. That's how Qigong healing works. Sorry to give up the million-dollar secret, Qigong healing or energy healing or Reiki or all of these energy healing, quote-unquote, are interactions of the bioelectric field in which the practitioner has trained their bioelectric field to produce something like an infrared energy and thus manipulate the, in a positive, for positive effects, manipulate the other person's. Well, you can use it both ways. Uh, In martial arts, we learn how to use it to, hurt other people. But anyway, you can use it both positively or negatively. There were no connotations. But to affect the bioelectric field of the other person, that's what energy healing is. Bioelectric field energy healing, that's what it is. I'll digress a bit again. Um, spirituality, right? Let me get to the point. Come on, Phil, get to the point. This is already an hour and a half long or more. Chaos, creation, order, destruction, the cycles, senses, right? That's, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about. We're talking about senses because if we're going to translate something, then we have to look at how the translations work. So as above, so below, I understand the physical. That's what I deal with. I've gotten a really good grasp on the mental. That's how I, I, I learned about my depression and took control of it and thus made myself no longer suicidal. I'm happy to say I'm no longer suicidal. I don't even have thoughts about it anymore. Self-harm, No, because I understand that there is a positive version of self-harm. Go to the gym, train, build muscle, you know, sweat. Do I do body work. I work on other people. I get pain all the time in my hands and other muscles because I'm working on someone else's body. But it's all in this this goodness, if you will. It's it's good self-harm, right? But I don't want to cause myself any self-harm to be like, are you living? Are you, you know... That's all gone. My suicidal tendencies, my self-harm tendencies in that regard, my neg- the negative side of things are gone. I'm happy to say that because I took control of my depression, the way in which I interact with things, the way I translate with things. But I still have this lapse, this lack. I don't understand what spirituality was. So I had to look at the thing that I did understand. And I feel that some people are backwards in this regard. Some people that we find to be aloof or very spiritual, they might have this and I don't. So, And I'm still, I'm still looking at this in, in, in depth, really. So, again, this is just a recap of what I've found so far. And what I've found with spirituality is just like we have fear, physical sensory apparatus, we have the physical senses, sight, smell, taste, hearing, touch. We also have to have, in that regard, we have to have spiritual senses. So I looked at what they might be. And I talked about instinct and insight and intuition. Then I was left with, well, how do those react with each other? If those do exist, and I've had some cases in which I've been intuitive. I'm intuitive with my body work. I absolutely can touch someone's, you know, Shoulder and be like, "Oh well, this is wrong or I can look at them I have insight into how their body's working. it's some spiritual thing because it's not my own senses it's 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 other and that's what I consider spiritual so there is this other thing going on instincts insight intuition all of it a mother's intuition you know a dad's instincts. All of these, you know, everybody has these things and I I believe we can cultivate them. And in fact, that's what a lot of the Eastern practices do is they cultivate something like chi or they cultivate something like ki or prana. They do chakra meditations, they cultivate prana. And this is a cultivation of the understanding of the senses of the spiritual health body. And those senses of the spiritual health body are actually represented in the seven chakras. And attuning someone to their chakras is attuning them to that system. Very important that it's a system of understanding the spiritual senses. Just like getting someone to practice qigong is attuning them to the senses of qi, which is the senses of shen, because qi is an expression of shen, and shen is spirit. Attuning someone to reiki. Is a little bit weird because the system actually works on the chakra system, but they're trying to use key, and that's why you got to be careful. Careful with Reiki, um, but you can absolutely have a martial arts practitioner who, in in the Japanese martial arts specifically karate, is a key practitioner and practices their own key. And that's an attunement to their spiritual senses of key, and specifically other people's key. Because true key practitioners in the martial arts, specifically a, like a full-blown karate key practitioner, can sense your key and can manipulate you using it. It's very awesome practice. I've experienced it myself personally. So you absolutely. there's I mean, you don't have to take my word for it. It's all anecdotal, but. Almost everyone has experienced like a, a premonitory dream, or someone else has had one, or just instinct or intuition, that gut feeling. And no, sometimes we don't pay attention to it always, but we can absolutely cultivate that and attune to doing that. That's what these experts of divination do. There are really people out there who can look at a deck of, of tarot cards or tarot cards and read into or have insights. Into the future, and no those might not actually come to fruition they 're just looking at a glimpse of a possibility, and we have to understand that that 's a little different that 's all very complicated that 's actually where i 'm going with this eventually so I will dive deeper into all of that, but this is also why I fight against the love and light because it 's empty it 's hollow. But if you get a tarot practitioner that's all about love and light, they have a fundamental understanding of a system in which that works in, of how light actually interacts with the physical form and how light interacts in the universe and how, you know, what a definition or defining factors of love are and how they're expressed through something like the tarot deck, which is a story, the, the, the greater arcana of tarot is a story of how the full starts to understand themselves and learn about something and then ultimately destroys that idea to then become the fool again and to continuously process this cycle of betterment and how that may take many lifetimes. And in fact, real divining individuals have some sort of understanding of what's known as um, a very full physical, oh, I'm sorry, a very full spiritual practice, which is reincarnation. Touchy subjects, I'll get into it another time. Or it can have an understanding of what true enlightenment is. A true Buddhist who truly knows what enlightenment is knows that enlightenment means death and you can enlighten oneself of many different things not just the physical body. That's the ultimate. That's Satori in Zen practice. Satori is the true enlightenment of the physical form, moving on from the necessity of this physical form. That's Satori. In some other religions, they call that exaltation for a god. You exalt oneself. You die in the exaltation of your god. You lived for your god and thus exalt yourself by dying for them. No connotation, no judgment here. This is just how these things actually work. You know, so Satori is the enlightenment of the, of the physical necessity of the physical form. But you can have enlightenment of many other things. You can have enlightenment from an addiction. You can have enlightenment from um, a hangover. You can, you can have enlightenment from many different things. And you can seek that out through different practices. But all of that, before I ramble on too much about all of this, all of that comes through one thing. And this is really what I, like, I, I, I looked at these, what are these other sensory apparatus? How to What are the spiritual senses? I have them a little bit, and I've definitely heard of other people who can express theirs. I've felt other people do theirs. I've been through awesome tarot readings and, and seen, you know, I've seen it happen. Anecdotally, I, I've seen the representation of what these spiritual senses look like. even if you have that experience, even if you have that cultivation, what is it? What is it really? How is it expressed? Remember, expression, attention to intention. This is where things got a little deep. And I'm still struggling with it. I'm still trying to figure it out a little bit. But I call it imagination. And I think imagination is truly what makes humanity, humanity. Imagination is the necessity of Trinity. It's the necessity of these three health bodies. And specifically, it's the necessity for a spiritual body, a spiritual life, a a spiritual practice of some sort and that can absolutely be defined by you through your depression as yours uniquely who you are has it doesn't need to be and i don't think it should have anything to do with organized religion but we define it through morals ethics beliefs faith those types of things that's that's the definition of it but that's it's uniquely you get to define it for yourself that you get to trans i should say that translate because that's what your depression is doing you get to do all the translations for yourself you get to believe in what you want to believe don't fucking let anyone Oh, I'm going to say this so hard. I'm going to scream it at people sometimes. Don't fucking let anyone define what you have to believe, what you must believe. You get to choose that for yourself. And it's very important that you do so because there's this thing known as imagination. And I don't believe imagination has anything to do with creativity. I make a large distinction there. Yes, an imaginative person might be a creative person and a creative person might have a lot of imagination. That's fine. But everyone's imaginative. Everyone but we take people's imagination away from them. That's what organized religion does. That's what academia does. That's what designed function of education does, which is indoctrination does. That's what dogma does. They take away people's imagination. This is the argument against whitewashing. They take away people's imagination. This is what Black Lives Matter should be screaming. Not practicing wokeism. They should be screaming... To stop taking the imagination away from the black community, because God damn it, Martin Luther King had a dream, and that dream was an imagination. And I can't speak on that because it's not part of my cultural reference, and I'm not going to. But that's my argument there that you need to, that, that I think would be a better focus. And I get that coming from a white dude, that might not be the right thing to be saying. But Martin Luther King had a dream. And if that's the argument we want to, and that's the hill we want to, you know, put up on the pedestal, go ahead. I don't get to make that decision, but we have to understand that that dream was an imagination. Here's why that's important. And I'm going to give some other cultural references just to piss a bunch of people off because that's how you get change done sometimes. Is just like BLM and I can't even consider BLM just a woke, is it? And that's a Marxist practice. I believe the black community is completely within their right. And absolutely should be screaming about the preservation of imagination, specifically in the youth. A black child should be taught how to imagine a better world for themselves. Just like poor me. When I was growing up as a farm boy kid who had no fucking money and, you know, was just poor and lived in a a rat and mouse and bug infested farmhouse. Just like, I had to learn how to have an imagination back then. So too should the child who lives in Iraq, who has no fucking option, but to possibly believe that maybe it'll get better, even though we burned every oil field and bombed them into fucking the Stone Age. Congratulations, America, you did that. I'm not anti-American in that sense. I'm just... These are the things we need to look at, is all of these diminishing ideas of imagination... These are the cultural wedges that are being fucking driven in between us. And this goes all the way down to the anecdotal story of a a child of Asian descent whose parents are pushing them to be a medical doctor and not being able to push back against that because they have the imaginative dream that they want to be an interpretive dance artist. These are the things I'm shouting about. And yes, they're cultural. And yes, they're ugly. And no, we don't want to deal with them. But they all have one thing in common, and it's the mashing, the destroying, the slicing, the dicing, the twisting of the knife and the wound against imagination. Here's why it matters. And yeah, this is a big beard moment when my Viking comes out. Because I'm going to raid and pillage and rape the idea That imagination shouldn't exist. And no, those are not nice words. No, we can't use those words anymore because it's time not to be nice. Because the nicety allows these individuals of fucking quote unquote import to quote unquote influence people's imagination. And I'm against it, and it's time for it to stop. This goes all the way to the top to the corporations, to the political structures, to the big banks anything that is collapsing imagination in this world must be dealt with now. Because dystopia is the other side of that. The WEF is the other side of that. The one world religion is the other side of that. We don't want these things. Here's why we don't want them. Because the intrinsic part of spirituality, the intrinsic part of mental health and self-awareness, the physical body, the mental body, the intrinsic part of humanity is this thing known as imagination. And it might come to fruition eventually that maybe lions and gazelles and zebra and dogs and cats, maybe they have imagination too. But one of the things most important things about imagination is the synonym invention when it comes to humanity, because a synonym word for imagination is invention and invention is how humanity lives. We are not great apes anymore. And it might come out that we never really were. Maybe evolution is wrong. Who knows? Okay. I'm not here to argue any of this stuff. Maybe it doesn't matter. What matters is that we can't live without invention. We had to invent Fire. We had to invent clothing. We had to invent shelter. We had to invent all of these things. We had to invent the atlatl. We had to invent the spear. We had to invent cooking methods. We had to invent all of these things to become the civilizations and the cultures that we are today, and without this invention, we'd be dead because we don't have hair, which means we only have a small band around the equator that we can live year-round or an ice age would have had wiped us out, or even a cold fucking night in the middle of Wisconsin would have killed our tribe. Or better yet, even a swelteringly hot night in the desert, in the Gobi desert would have killed our tribe. If not, then the plunging cold afterwards at that nighttime. So there's not just a small band around the equator that we can live. There's only pockets on that small band around the equator that we can live. And most likely, if we wanted to imagine that possibility, we'd all be islandic tribe people because we would live on small little islands and be little tribes of people. And that would have been it. That would have just been all humanity was. But no, we have this thing known as imagination, which means we have this thing known as invention. So we invented all of this crazy shit. And now we have the societies that we live in now. It's unfathomably amazing. Take some time to think about it. The disparity that comes from that, specifically the cultural disparity and the disparity between people, and the fact that I can't have a conversation with a black man on the street because we're both worried if we're going to somehow say something that pisses the other one off and that my white privilege might come out and, you know, his cultural race card might come out and we can't fucking get along anymore because of that somehow comes down to the destruction of the imagination in which a world where that doesn't fucking matter because we're just human and we can express love for one another and we can express the idea of that love being the definition of looking at the way they see see things through their depression and the way I see things through my depression and understanding that we're both just fucking depressed and we can come together on that idea everyone has their own unique depression. It is the singular cultural idea along with imagination that binds us together as humans. And so thus we, it is the side of the coin, right? It is the coin itself. It is duality, which is trinity. The coin is that we're humans and the dualistic side to that coin, the two measurements, are we are unique and connected all at the same fucking time. And the most important part about that comes down to this thing known as imagination, because that imagination allowed for the invention for us to get here, but that imagination is actually something else. That imagination is what's known as simulation. I had to learn this from studying war because I went from being a martial artist to becoming what's known as a martialist and a martialist studies war. I studied and learned how to kill people. That's what my martial practice was. Did I do it? No, what it taught me on the other side of it is because everything's dualistic, I learned the positive side of it because to be a true martial practitioner, you have to learn anatomy and physiology. You have to learn about the human body because you have to be able to know how to destroy it, where to slice the knife in between the rib cage, where to attack the kidney or the bladder or the spleen, where to break the neck, how to gouge out the eyes, how to Hit someone one place that they'll feel it another place. How to do all of these different terrible, horrible things to hurt another person, but not actually doing it. How to take an elbow to the break point, the flexion point, to know how to break it, to give it that last little pop, to pop it out of its socket for the shoulder. Put someone in an umaplata, put someone in a triangle, a rear naked choke. All of these different maneuvers in which to hurt the human body taught me how to heal it. Because I don't heal people. People heal people. I just remind the body where to look. But my martial, my martial arts transferred from being martial arts, the practice of forms and function, the study philosophy, that's artistic, to the martial practice of it. And martialism is warfare, the study of war, the act of being at war. And kid you not, we are at war. You have been at war since the day you were born. You have no idea it's happening. It's a mental war. It's an information war. Sometimes it's a physical kinetic war. Oftentimes it's a very spiritual war. You are at war. So I learned to study it. And here's what I learned. You have this thing known as imagination and in war we call it simulation. You can simulate the outcome of something because all war starts in the mind. Because it is first a simulation, part of the translations. So once you learn that you can simulate these things, you can work with chaos. You can work with what came first. Chaos was the first primordial. The individuals that became very prevalent in this world learned what I'm probably going to call the most important principle of existing as a human in today's society. And probably was... The important principle of existing as an important human in all of ancient society, and is one of the most closely guarded secrets in human history. And if I ever disappear, it's because I shared this. It's because I learned it and now I'm sharing it, unlike what a lot of other people do. Here it is. And this is a reward for having spent two hours listening to me ramble on about this. War which you are ever present and always inside of is a simulation and the people who win wars are the people who can simulate and work with chaos and understand that chaos came first not creation that the, you live in a world of war that is infinite possibility and by working with that idea and controlling chaos if you will you don't call, you don't control chaos by wrapping it In a bubble, you destroy it by giving it structure. You can do great things, but you have to understand that the world is in chaos. It comes from chaos, it's infinite, beautiful possibility. And so are you. You're a child of chaos. You were born from chaos, you will return to chaos. We're a child of chaos. That is your greatest power, is that you are a child of chaos. A lion is not a child of chaos. A dog, a cat, they are not children of chaos. They are children of creation. That's the differentiation of the animal kingdom. A lion is born to be a lion. And can only be a lion. It cannot simulate being a gazelle. Because it's gonna eat itself. A cat can't simulate completely being a dog. It might have some dog-like tendencies because we've defined that. We define those tendencies, but it's still a cat. It still hunts nocturnally. It still, you know, it, it does cat things. It doesn't do dog things. It might hang out with a dog. Might get along with dog. Might play with the dog, but it's still a cat. Humans can simulate, which means we can define. And that's a scary thing because we've used it the wrong way. Not, not really us. We let someone else use it the wrong way. We let someone else control the simulations. This is why you're at war. And it's a spiritual war because this war comes from the top down. And I'm not talking about religions here, although they, they are part of it. They, this is part of the warfare they do. It's a war on effort. I talked about this last episode, and that's why I think the last two episodes are probably the most two important episodes I've done. till this episode to recap everything it is so much so that I'm thinking I'm about to lose my voice here. Um, thank you for bearing with me if you have through this whole thing. Um, effort should be celebrated. Go back and listen to the effort episode to go into more on that. But imagination needs to be protected because imagination is this simulation. And that simulation allows us to do a bunch of things. One of the things that allows us to do the most is understand spirituality. Specifically, if you're someone like me, who's more of a physical person or even more so a mental person. I need to simulate the physical senses into the spiritual senses so that I can better understand what spirit is. It's the only way I'm ever going to be able to to describe and understand it. And that's now the journey that I'm taking off on. So this is why I'm so adamantly stuck or adamantly rooted in the idea that we must protect imagination. Specifically, we must protect the imagination of children and I don't get along with kids. I'm not a big kid person, but better be damn sure that I'm going to protect their imagination because that's how you protect humanity. And to be human is to live for humanity. And to be human is to live because we're in control of these physical forms that must live. That's what they're doing for us. They're living. Cells are living. We're in, tro- we're in control of them. And so hopefully I know, I, you know there's no break, great culmination point. I tried to make it into like, but yeah, whatever. It is what it is. That's why I'm, I'm you know, imagination, simulation, warfare, spirituality. That's, that's where I'm going with all this. Hopefully I'll figure it out. I think I'm close. I'm almost there. Not to mean that there's an end in sight, but hopefully. But I think this one's gotten long enough. Two hours is a pretty good breaking point here. Um Thank you. If you've, you know, come along with this on me with this journey, or even thank you. If this is just your entry into all of this, that you just, you know, jumped on the recap. Um, If you want to support the podcast, please head over to taminghindrances.com and check out the archive. There's a bunch of affiliated links in there. Um, to things on Amazon, you know, books and, and, and other things that I find interesting. One of the big ways you can support the podcast is by going over to purebulk.com and checking them out. They're a amazing supplements uh, provider and you can use the code taminghindrances.com. I'm sorry, taminghindrances, T-A-M-I-N-G-H-I-N-D-R-A-N-C-S worst marketable name ever. Use the coupon code taminghinderesses at purebulk.com. I get a small commission, but you also get 10% off. So that helps the podcast that way. You can also give us a rating on your preferred podcast uh, platform. Leave us a spiffy review um, or engage with us through the website on the contact uh, button. Just click contact. It'll send us an email or send me an email and uh, ask some questions. You know, engage with me that way. It'd be great. This is a new one, um, which will hopefully be coming out soon. If you would like to support me in my endeavors to understand the human system and to help better people's lives, if I can, um, I am open to speaking engagements. If you would like to contact us about speaking engage, contact me. I should stop using the royal we if you'd like to contact me about a speaking engagement you would like me to do, uh, use the contact submission form on the website, team Soon there will be an actual button for it. um, that will come to me directly in a separate, um, existence. But other than that, thank you. Um, and I hope this helps just, just do me the favor of like taking some time to think about all this. And really think about who you are. And understand your depression. And if you are in any way like me. Here's my love to you. This from someone who doesn't really understand what love is. But I've defined it as. Us trying to understand each other's depressions Just a little bit. Just connect. Just connect a little bit. If you are in any way like me. And are someone who practices self-harm. Or are actively suicidal. Or have suicidal tendencies. Have anything that you would Think would be a you know trouble with mental health. I urge you one to seek out a helpful professional if you think that will help you in any way, or maybe just to get some resources to reach out to someone not that you trust because there's a dangerous game in trusting someone and then having them not be able to help you, but just reach out to another individual that you feel comfortable talking to to just start that conversation. And I urge you to start it with, Hey, can you just listen? And when I want your input, I will do X because part of my story, I'm going to get a little emotional on this one. Um, something that doesn't happen very often. Part of my story was getting comfortable with talking to other people about it and coming to grips with the idea that there wasn't something wrong with me. I just didn't know how to interact with it. And that's why I make a massive difference between professional help. And I'm all about professional help. If you want to go get professional help, a massive difference between professional help and really understanding your depression and learning to control it and use it. It's a, it's a really big difference. So if that's something that that's a place where you are in your life i really urge you to it's 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 scary and it's not easy but to find someone that you are at least comfortable talking to and maybe that is a professional a counselor or a therapist but premising it with taking control of the topic and saying hey i just need you to listen and when i'm ready For you to input, I'll give you this signal and then to get their input, but to understand that you're the one that gets to translate that. This might even look like starting out with just a conversation with yourself in the mirror. And now that I got really serious and, you know, got a little emotional, I'll leave you with a funny side, take this hopefully in a funny direction or a funny way. Um, I did this with my own weight loss. I went from 310 pounds down to 215. And then I even did it with me bulking back up to 270 and just getting my healthy gung fu body that I have now. I'm fat. I got a belly, but I'm strong as fuck. (laughs) Uh, that started with me having the conversation with myself in the mirror. I've already used plenty of colorful language. So part of this colorful language as well. I just looked at myself in the mirror and said, Hey, you fat fuck. It's time to make a change. And that included stopping drinking, stopping smoking, you know, and it took years, years for me to do all that, but it was a conversation I had to have in the mirror first. So if that's where you want to start, awesome. And these are just ideas, you know, please check out again, taminghindress.com, go over the archive. There's a lot of resources in there for just interesting stuff to read. Yeah. Um, But if you're suffering and you feel like it's time and, and you have no other options, reach out first, please just 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 try it, like you always have another option, one of those is reaching out, and if you haven't exhausted that option yet, you still have more options. I'm sorry, you still got more options, so please do it. um I think that's what I will leave you with the outro to come, just remember to breathe, and um yeah, I'll catch you on the next one. We're gonna check out more about spirituality i guess i'm um, I don't know where this is going but If anything, just, you know, come with me on the journey because I think it's kind of fun. Take care. I will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at Taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.